Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Do something like hip hoppers do for like, it would be like Flavor Flav, like a hype man. Yeah, well, I announce your station or something, and then you oh, always, yeah, yeah. you know, you drop that in between. <laughs> in yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah, sure. I'd love to hear that. Can you need to write it, or can you do it on the fly? <laughs> are we a question you rec- a lot? Are you re- you're recording, aren't you? <laughs> oh, I did hit record. I did hit record. I, I got to save this goal. Yeah. I never got. I never got that request. So I don't know. I don't know. It's like this is Jared Bibler from Iceland Secret, and you're listening to Dan and Kyle. <laughs> Can't do it. I never did oh, it. Oh, it was so close. You almost really, had really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we could splice yeah. something together. <laughs> oh, fantastic! All right, Dad. Should we just jump into this thing, or? I mean, since we already kind of yep. started. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Give us a nice intro, and then we'll we'll get right to it. Can Can that be the intro? What you just said. Uh, sure. All right. Why not? <laughs> Hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome to the China Shop. Get your frigid asses inside and warm them up by the fire. We got another exciting interview episode for you today. I'm shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, is Kyle, creator of financialineptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm uh, doing all right. It is chilly. I've been blaming Canada. Apparently, they got a blizzard going on in Alberta. Bastards. That is how that works, right? You can blame the neighbors up north for sending us their shit weather. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> All right, Kyle, I'm I'm super, super, super excited today. Me too. All right, well, let me introduce, welcoming back to the China shop. Once again, we have the author of Iceland Secret, Jared Bibbler. How are you doing today, Jared? Hey, thanks so much for having me on, guys, again. That's awesome. I'm doing great. Uh, it's great to be with, here with you. Jared, you uh, you just won an award too, didn't you? Oh yeah, I won. Uh, or I, I didn't win, but I guess the book won uh, silver in the Axiom the Axiom Awards. I guess I did. I don't know. Yeah, that's how you won that. Yeah, you wrote the book, right? I mean, but the book <laughs> when you write a book, it goes out in the. It's like having a kid, you know. It it's off doing its own thing, you know. So you're proud <laughs> of your child. I <laughs> kind of am. Yeah. Jared's book stole my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was good, but I don't know if it was that good. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the Axiom Award? I was kind of reading a little bit about it. It's about business books, I think. Yeah, they're business books. And this category was like something called international business and globalization. So I guess they kind of lumped some things together. But anyway, (laughs) uh, it it got silver in that. So I'm really, really happy with that. Um, I was really excited to see that. Uh, I just finished the book uh, this week. And I got to say, I was really really pleased with the way that it was written. I thought it, I thought uh, the storytelling aspect of it and then mixing that in with the actual like detective work read like a great story. 
That's awesome. I well, I I mean, I'm 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 glad that you said that. I was really going for that because I thought. I mean, it took. That's why it took me. People were like, why did it take you so long to write this book? I mean, I actually wrote it like three <laughs> times because I really wanted it to be. I thought that the story is important enough that it needed a good narrative to keep people reading it. You know, to, mm-hmm. uh, so that so I, I put a lot of work into that. So that's that's good to hear that. The one thing I was disappointed with that I felt like uh, uh, a little bit like Fred Savage and the Princess Bride. We guess no. No index. No, 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 not even that. No, no, this the ending. I felt, I felt like Fred Savage at the end of our, uh, right in the middle of Princess Bride, where he says, uh, That's Who it? gets Humperdinck at the end? At the right. end. Who gets right. him? Someone's got to do it. Is it Jared? Is it Wangro? Who? <laughs> <laughs> and no, he lives. <laughs> yeah. Son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I. <laughs> Jesus, Jared, why'd you read this thing to me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't know it was a tragedy. God, you could, you could, ha- you could have had me read it to you on Audible. You know. Then, oh, did you? Uh, did you do that? I did. Yeah, yeah. I but, love it when the authors go and put the uh, put their voice track to the audio recordings. I love it when that happens. It, I mean, it's it's a pain in the ass. Let me tell you, it's not easy, but it's fun. I I liked it. <laughs> Chapter seven is all screaming, right? Right. <laughs> 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 so last time we had you on here, you were kind of walking us through just some of the the craziness that this bank was doing. But mm-hmm. now that I've actually uh, uh, gotten through the story and and have a better understanding of of more more of it, there is some more stuff that I would like to follow up on you with. Sure. Uh, one of the things that I think was really like really stood out to me was just how uh, I don't. I'm trying to pick the right word here because I don't want to disparage. Iceland, but it just seemed like it seemed like kids playing at the roles of regulators and banks and institutions. Like it, mm-hmm. it seemed like there mm-hmm. wasn't a whole lot of knowledge of what how this, those systems were supposed to be run. Like there's a lot of oh, I didn't know we couldn't do that, or yeah, why can't we do that? We said that's yeah. how we're going to do it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that as long as we tell you. Right, right. There's a lot of that. Why do you think that is? Well, I I, I allude to that in the book a bit, and where where my father-in-law talks about how proud he is to send milk off to the dairy. Mm-hmm. And against the milk, they didn't. Uh, they didn't have much cash even in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So he would send. Uh, he worked on a farm, his family's farm, in the summer, and uh, they had uh, dairy cattle there. And the farm was like 60 kilometers down the road from the nearest big town, which isn't even a big town. It's maybe a thousand people. Right. And so every three days, a milk truck would come and take the milk away. And he told me very proudly that they would put a. Um, a little slip of paper on the handle of the milk tankard mm-hmm. and they'd say we need a, a leather strap for the horse or or we need a like a handle for the shovel or something like this and then the dairy would send those things back against the, against the milk right and so that really told me a lot when he told me that story because that wasn't that was just right before I was born, basically. I mean, it was not that long ago. Yeah, because he, he thought that was a great thing. He, 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 yeah, he did. Um, and it's pretty cool, I guess, in a way. Well, until you think about, like, you're not getting the best price for that strap. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> That's for it's, sure. Yeah. It's almost like the, the mining camps back in, like, uh, the Gold yes. Rush. Yes. Where they pay you in script and then you have to shop at their store. Yes. I, I don't know. If I'm on a farm, that feels like Amazon Prime to me. <laughs> That, yeah, there is a benefit to that when you're 60 miles from nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I think that's an angle of it. But as you say, don't pick on Iceland too much because it's easiest to see those things there. But I've also worked in larger countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked with regulators and so on. And it's not as uh, th- there's more of a veneer of professionalism, but the same kind of cluelessness is often there. 
I, I worked with someone a few years ago here, very high up. Mm-hmm. And this is when, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but have you heard of Crypto Valley? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> near, near where I live in, uh, in Zurich is, a, is another canton called Zug, and they have a lot of crypto firms there. Mm. And they were styling themselves as Crypto Valley for a while. And so in the, in the height of that, I said to someone very senior, I talked about, uh, and everyone here was talking about ICOs, initial coin offerings. I said to someone very senior in a regulatory capacity, oh yeah, such and such about ICO. And she said, like, what's an ICO? And I mean, he would, you were bre- people were, you couldn't walk down the street without seeing crypto stuff here at, at that point. <laughs> was Matt Damon there? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. So, uh, you know, uh, I think there is quite a bit of naivete in the regulatory system, actually, because you have these total sharks, you know, trading uh, derivatives and, and, and writing these incredible structured products and things for like a Goldman. And then on the regulatory side, you have a lot of lawyers who studied law mm-hmm. and then they study securities law and then they kind of compare what they're seeing to what they read in the law book. And there's, there's quite a big disconnect there. I, I feel like almost everywhere. Uh, uh, you make a good point too. It's you can't just pick on Iceland. I mean, uh, we talked to Ian Frazier about the RBS incident and there was a lot of <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> a lot of, uh, what's the blunders, boneheadedness, uh, right. ignorance. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of children stacked in trench coats pretending to be businessmen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why do you think you had such a hard time? pursuing these as a case though like it, it seemed like you were kind of fought uh by your supervisors while you're trying to get these things and then eventually you were kind of even ran out of the the regulatory agency that you worked so hard to bring all this stuff to the front yeah i i, I, I certainly did feel run out at the time and very like very unwelcome and like the the, the capacity that we built up mm-hmm. uh was then kind of taken apart so i think there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of appetite for this type of stuff, <laughs> you know, it makes, <laughs> it makes people uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. But you, I mean, I would have thought the public would have been crying for blood. They were, that, that was a bit of a problem too. They were, you know, mm-hmm. um, there was, uh, th- that's a part of the book. I kind of wish maybe if we do a second edition, I'll put some pictures in and an index because the index thing bothers me, but th- there were people on the streets and, uh, and quite angry protests for mm-hmm. the whole of the winter, that first winter. And people were out for blood. But these type of criminal cases, even in the US, they take about five years on average, I think, for the SEC to do a case. And by the time, and nobody set that expectation for the public. And by the time they came out, you know, there'd been another election and people people were moving on. So that was, you know, that was really unfortunate. Do you think Uh, there's anything that could be done to to streamline that process or to make it go quicker? Or is it just the nature of lawsuits in general? Well, in our case, we had in Iceland, we had no infrastructure for it. We had a new special prosecutor's office and we had all the stuff that you read about us doing in the book with email search and, Mm -hmm. you know, trading analysis, all the things that you need to do a good investigation. We had to kind of invent and build up from scratch. So if we were to do it again, we'd do it very fast. I think there was a lot of uh, um, challenges to the prosecution results that were even handed out, where a lot of them seem to have gotten either nullified or reduced because of the speedy trial consideration. Yes, that that ended up being a problem, and and yeah, and also there were there were some issues with judges not recusing themselves. I mean, mm. it was a, it was a it was a learning experience for the for the whole system in Iceland, 
But unfortunately, from my perspective, by dismantling our, I mean, what we essentially created at the regulator was an enforcement division. It's a, right. and almost every, every good regulator has one. I only know of two, I think I only know two that don't. It's Iceland and at the time, I don't even know if this is still true, but at the time it was Denmark. Mm. And Iceland models, it's a former colony of Denmark. So if Denmark does something, then Iceland does it, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. One of the push, I was like, we should really have an enforcement team going forward. You know, I, I wasn't asking for, I was asking for like four to six people. And uh, one of the responses was, yeah, but Denmark doesn't need that. So why do we need it? Uh, did you try calling Denmark and see if they do it? That would have been smart. Yeah. You guys are smarter than me. That would have been really smart. Why didn't I think I of that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was the other thing that happened uh, with some of those cases? I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but did it? Did I see that the legislation changed in the middle of this whole thing to that also reduced or even muted some of those sentences? Yeah. Somebody slipped. There's a great. Um, this is like a two part thing. S- somehow, in, in, at the end of a of, of a bill that was passed in, I want to say 2016, this summer, like toward the end of the parliamentary session, mm-hmm. sl- I slipped a piece into another bill. I think, and it was like, if you're convicted of a nonviolent uh, white collar crime, then you should be able to serve your sentence out at home. I mean, I'm 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 paraphrasing. That may not be exact, but it was it was in that spirit. So all the guys who were actually in the white collar prison, which I haven't seen, but I've told it's, it's okay. It's like a mm-hmm. farm out in the middle of nowhere and they have horses and it's not bad. I think everybody gets their own room. Right. Uh, I think they have internet and they have a weight room and you know, it's not bad. Um, but, but a lot of those guys were then able to come back to Reykjavik. Right. And then, one of them was famously flying a helicopter around with an ankle bracelet. Did yep. you get to that part? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? And then the helicopter, the only way we know that is the helicopter crashed. Fortunately, no, nobody was too badly hurt. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and then they were like, well, what's this guy flying around with? He's the same one who flew Elton John in uh, for his 50th birthday party earlier in the, in the book. And so, yeah, so it was kind of a th- thumbing the noses at the whole thing. Yeah, and I uh, think that kind of answers the question of why you uh, had such a hard time pushing this. Well, yeah, you're pushing against you know the elites and the money of the country. It's never easy to do. I'm surprised you actually made it as far as you did. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> I, I think nobody really knew what I was doing for a little while, and then I could kind of push it, and then but then it, as you saw in the book, it was rapidly taken apart. Yeah, yeah, it did not take them long to dismantle everything from what it looked like. And then also to absorb it into the central bank. Like that that seemed really strange to me. And I don't know that is, right? That's not a normal thing to do to have a banking agency be in control of the regulatory. I think it was the fashion I'm not an expert on this. I think it was the fashion earlier that sometimes I mean, sometimes the central bank the central banks often have some I think even the Fed has some regulatory power over over bigger banks in the US. Ah, uh, okay. There's other agencies as well. Often central banks, um, they want to make sure that the banking system is stable and solid. So there is a role for the central bank. Um, but but in this case, I think they, I think there was the, the, the fashion in the 90s was then to have separate market regulators that were spun out from. And so that's what Iceland did. But then paradoxically, they put this, they put this uh, agency back under the central bank, I think two years ago. Yeah. Makes it even less have even less independence and relevance in my mind. It's like the agency that caught the banks that were doing all this shady stuff is now under the gu- the charge of another bank. 
Like, yeah. What? No, wait a minute. That's backwards. <laughs> and I, I have some new developments just from the last couple of weeks to share with you guys. So when, if, Oh, please. Uh, do you want me to do that now or, or? Well, let's recap on like what yeah, some yeah, of yeah. the more egregious things were. If you can kind of walk through the, uh, the share, <laughs> the supporting of the market shares, uh, by the three main institutions, some of the insider trading and, and just some of the major, like, let's hit the key points again. Okay. I mean, uh, I guess as you saw that it's the biggest three, stock market manipulation or market abuse cases of, of equity markets, I think, in the world history, history or at least that, that we, we know of. That we know of. There's yes. probably bigger. <laughs> There's probably, this is the, probably the tip of the iceberg. But yeah, these banks were manipulating their or actually just setting their daily price, daily close and even intraday prices for many years. Um, some evidence points all the way back to 1998. So 10 years. I think you had uh, some figures for the volume that they were buying uh, somewhere in like the 40 to 60%. Yeah, there were, there were some individual days where they bought 90% or 95. And like over the whole of 2008, the biggest bank bought around, I don't have it in front of me. I want to say they bought uh, around f- close to 40% of the whole market volume for almost a year. Wow. But that's, you know, and that's, uh, but there's, there's many days in there where I think there was like something like 20 days where it was over 75% of the volume, 20 trading days. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they and they spent a ton. I mean, they spent around um each of the three banks spent about a billion dollars US mm-hmm. uh in in the last year on this behavior. So this is expensive. I mean, it's not and, and that's a tiny market. If you were going to try to do this in the US, I think you'd need a lot more, right? Um, Probably, yeah. But or a time machine. <laughs> time, time machine you know, when they get a time machine, the Icelanders will really no. <laughs> Yeah, that look will, out. That will be the yeah, that will be the pinnacle of market abuse. <laughs> yes. So uh yeah, the, it was just an unbelievable uh, magnitude of 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 buying of own shares. And then and then they had to hide those somewhere, as you saw. So mm-hmm. they did that often most like off balance sheet. And 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 that what they would do is they just create a company, a shell company. Toward the end, they were all in the British Virgin Islands, I think, or nearly all, and they would uh, lend a hundred percent of the value of that trade. And they just dumped the shares uh, in, into the company. I love the excuse too about oh, oh, this is just a holding company for the employee options exercising. Oh yeah, that was Lundsbunky, the second. That's the oldest bank in the country, right? And then the when you brought that up to the to your teammates, and they're like, oh no, I remember that. They they came and talked to me about that last year. We said we said it was okay. Yeah, yeah, we. Oh no, no, yeah, we knew about that. I was like, but that, but that doesn't that doesn't make any sense, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Especially when, as you pointed out, like after the employees actually exercise their options, the share count didn't ever drop. Right. They never use that. Yeah. They never <laughs> use those warehouse shares and, and those piles of warehouse shares grew. I want to, I want to say uh, 15% of all the, uh, uh, so it's like about the percentage that, that uh, Elon Musk wants to own in Tesla, right? 15%. Uh, yes, Twitter. Yeah, Tesla. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Twitter. Um, he, you know, yeah, fifteen percent was actually owned by those weird employee companies offshore. There was three or four or five of them. <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> and and uh, they had an employee of the bank who was listed as the, I guess is that the word the nominee? I forget the word in English, but I mean, because someone has to vote. You know, when you have an annual annual meeting, someone oh, someone right. someone has to show up and vote those shares. Right. And so he would just vote whatever management told him because he was just a, a manager in the bank, you know. <laughs> so, but he was representing all these powerful offshore interests. It's, yeah, it was a crazy situation. 
That is insane. And there was even, uh, I don't even think we covered this one the last time you were here, but the uh, thing that happened with, was it Credit Suisse or the Danish bank where they tried to, uh, they tried to, to do something with their insurance notes? The CDS spread. Yeah. They, yes, yes. They started with Credit Suisse. They did a little bit with them and then they, and then Deutsche Bank, which is the biggest bank in Germany. And that's actually, well, that's, that, there's a great book, Dark Towers. Oh, by Stephen King? No, David Everidge. <laughs> yeah, it's Stephen King. <laughs> Stephen King wrote the the canonical definitive history of Deutsche Bank. No. Yes. <laughs> uh, seven series. David Enrich from, I think he's from the Wall Street Journal. He wrote this history of Deutsche, which is quite, quite eye-opening. Anyway, they kind of never met a shade. They're, they're one of the shadiest, or that's their reputation. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, they, I mean, I believe they were the bank that financed the German war effort in the Second World War. Ooh. And there's... It's still the same bank, um, and uh, so they had a lot to do with to do with that. But yeah, they they helped the biggest bank, Kuip thing. They helped them create what's called a credit linked note, which is a pre funded CDS contract. And a CDS, what is that? A credit default swap. Um, okay, they're, they're less popular now than they were, but they used to be. Like back in the day, they were uh, they were everything. When I was when I was an asset manager, it's all we talked about, kind of. I remember seeing the name, but I never actually really understood what they were. Okay, so they uh, it's basically an you could think of it as just an insurance policy mm-hmm. on a bond. So let's say you had a I don't know what's your favorite let's say, I don't know what's your favorite company uh, right now. Yeah. Uh, probably the one I'm long on, uh, Which Boston is- Scientific. <laughs> okay, so what's your favorite? What's your favorite short? My favorite short, yeah, uh, Twitter. Okay, I don't know. Does Twitter have any debt outstanding? They do, right? I don't know. Anyway, so if they did, I'm not sure. If they, if they had debt, let's say they have a 10 year U.S. dollar note that matures, you know, 10 years from now and pays mm-hmm. X interest. It maybe pays a coupon, I don't know, twice a year. Um, and then what you could do is buy a CDS, which is basically you go to a uh, you go to one of the big banks and you say, because you're a pension fund, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. I'm worried about this Twitter bond. Uh, I think they're going to default. I think they're going to go out of business uh, and I, I won't get paid. And so they would say, all right, well, we'll sell you a credit default swap uh, on that bond. And so if the bond was a $10 million notional or $10 million um, principal value of the bond. Mm-hmm. So that means you would have paid up front. Yeah, sorry, you would, yeah, you would have paid 10 million up front to buy the bond, let's say on the offering day. Then you got a coupon twice a year. And then on the last day, you get your 10 million back as long as they right. didn't default. Okay. So they, they would create a custom insurance contract for you with, let's say you insured the whole 10 million. They would give you a, a premium payment twice a year. That, so when you got your coupon payments, you then pay a piece of them for this insurance and if the if if there's a cre- what's called a credit event if the bond defaults if the company defaults and doesn't pay the bond then you can you can trade the junkie or the you know defaulted bond mm-hmm. that's why it's a swap you can trade it and you just get your cat you get your 10 million okay so it's basically just like a like the health of the company kind of thing it, it is like it spreads on it yeah the spread is kind of cool because the spread is priced in bips basis points so mm-hmm. you can actually see from the spread what the market thinks the credit risk of that issuer is in, a, in, right. a, in one clean number. That's why it was so useful. So if the spread was 50, then that's a half a percent annual interest pay, uh, annual principal payment that you'd have to make. Mm-hmm. And so if the bond is yielding three and you have to pay half a percent, then you still get, you know, so you can see what the market thinks the credit credit risk is. In the case of the Icelandic banks, the CDS spreads were what they called, they were blowing out. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I'm, I'm, I don't have the chart in front of me, but in 2007, 
they were something around like four or 500 points. Wow. So that's four or 5% of yield you'd have to pay just to get an insurance on the bond. Wow. Right. So, so that's uh, already trouble territory, right? I mean, Lehman, I think the day before Lehman went bust, they got to that level, like four or 500. Um, that's really high. And so these guys were already in 2007, a year before they collapsed, they were already something around there. So a few, a few percentage points of, so like, that means that the bond is going to have to pay much more yield or much more interest in order to justify this huge spread. Right. And what that means in practice is you're not going to get a, you're not going to be able to issue new debt. No. <laughs> <laughs> so they made a deal with Deutsche Bank to try to write their own spreads? Yes, they wrote, what they did is they, uh, they gave money to Deutsche. It's kind of like, it's like another way to think about it is like, you give, you give away your house, right? Uh-huh. To someone, you say, here's my house. If I'm still alive in five years, give me my house back. <laughs> that's, that's, kind <laughs> <of> the, that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the deal they made with Deutsche. They, oh, wow. They gave them a huge, it ended up being, uh, there was margin calls and stuff, but the total size of the deal was about 500 million euros, which it's a lot of money for anybody, I think, but in Iceland is especially a lot. And they gave them about 500 million plus fees. Wow. Upfront cash, cash. And, and Deutsche said, okay, we will issue this amount of CDS protection into the market. And the, um, you know, the spreads will drop when there's a new, because the Icelandic banks were convinced and they still, this is still what they will say today is like, we were being attacked by hedge funds. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, the spreads were too high. They didn't reflect the liquid market. You know, we were very healthy. Uh, this became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Th- these would be their defenses. Okay. Like maybe that's true. I'm not sure because w- what we know from the share price buying is. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> what I mean. You know, I mean like, if I knew that they were buying all the shares that the, you could sell, I would be selling as many as I could. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. You're going to hold this up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take it all. <laughs> yeah. So what they did is they gave Deutsche this money up front and Deutsche issued CDS protection for them. And then if, if it's it's brilliant the whole deal was brilliant for deutsche because the cds is is pre-funded in other words deutsche has the cash up front that they need to pay on the other side if the thing goes bust so they're selling cds protection and if the if the if the counterparty demands you know hey there's a credit event i want my money then deutsche has the cash they just pay them right yeah and and what they do is though they issue it's a pretty clever product the, for the company who bu- who who buys the credit linked note. It, it effectively works like a bond, and the interest you get on the bond is whatever the spread of the CDS was. See, huh. minus a fee. So if their CDS spread was five hundred, just keep around numbers. They would they would basically you're getting a bond that that pays you five percent coupon, right? Uh, or, or you know, yeah, what minus minus whatever the fee was. And so it's a super high yield instrument. It's a synthetic ultra high yield bond for the, for the buyer. Um, so so yeah. did Deutsche Bank actually issue any of these or did they just completely double cross them? Because it, the, the, it never dropped the spreads. Well, well let, me, let me try and get my head around this really quick. Yes. Oh, so, so, you're, you're, so the Icelandic banks. Or at least, at least one of them. Yeah. At least yeah. one of them gave Deutsche Bank like 500 million euros. Yes, for for for, uh, for some credit default swaps, but, but they're basically at, so they gave gave that money to them. Then they're paying Deutsche Bank to hold this money for them. 
No, then Deutsche would be paying them a periodic, um, it's like they bought a bond. Okay. When you buy a bond, you, you basically lend someone money. So every, I don't know, I guess it was every six months or every year, they would get an interest payment from Deutsche based on whatever the CDS spread was. Because on the other side, Deutsche is selling CDS protection, which it's getting a, a periodic fee for. Mm-hmm. See, so it's just sitting in the middle. So on the one side, it takes money, it pays out a, um, a coupon. And, and on the protection side, it sells protection uh, and it takes in a, a, like, like, it's like taking in an insurance policy premium. To protect right. the money that they already have. Well, and they, 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 so they make money on the spread between those two things. Yeah. Yep. And they already have the money in their treasury. So there's no risk for them. Yeah, it's a great deal for them. <laughs> it's a beautiful deal. They just sit in the middle. So how did, how did the bank get the money to fund this thing? Well, they it like cleaned them out. It, it, it cleaned out. You know, <laughs> so they, by trying to protect themselves, they kind of hastened the demise? Well, and in the end, they borrowed $500 million from the Icelandic Central Bank, which which was never paid back. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, so the central bank ultimately funded part of that, at least. Oh, God. <laughs> I should note that just for just for the lawyers, technically, Deutsche said that they wouldn't deal directly with Kuipthing, the Icelandic bank. They said, no, 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 that would look like we might be, that might look like we're manipulating the CDS spread for you. So we can't do that. But they said, but bring us some, um, bring us some VIP clients who want to do the trade and we'll talk to them. Yeah, that, that, clears things mm-hmm. up perfectly but yeah <laughs> i think it actually made it worse <laughs> that's what that's what they did but as we know now all the the clients didn't i don't believe i don't believe any client put up a penny i think it all came through from the bank and wow but you asked um at least some of the protection that and i don't know uh i don't know if this has ever been stated publicly uh so i i don't know if it's a hundred percent but at least some of the protection the CDS protection that was supposed to go out on the market mm-hmm. it was just kept internally by Deutsche trading desks. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the that's the double crossing uh, angle of this. I mean, because these guys really were were hoping for a big move in the market, and at first, I think it did move a bit when they started. I think Deutsche did put some on the market and start to move it, but then their own desks were getting nervous because they were one of the biggest lenders themselves to this bank and to other Icelandic. Uh, institutions and the government so they got really nervous they just so they would buy this protection internally so it never got a chance to hit the market they they just kept it on their books <laughs> they were sued and they ended up paying deutsche ended up just a few years ago settling uh and paying back most of the 500 i think they paid 425 million back through to the estate of the of the bank was it to the bank or was it to the subsidiaries that it, it, it went to those companies and I think those companies were in dissolution. Uh, and so then okay. they would have, it would have ultimately come back into the the parent bank. There's a lot more to this story that I just found out after the, the book was written. So I mean the thing about this book is it really is just the surface of the whole story. Yes. It's not comprehensive at all. There's a lot I never learned. There's a lot I still don't know. And and people call me with things that I had no idea about. Um, and, and, the, and this Deutsche thing with uh, with those companies winding down, that's another whole tale. Oh, you can almost write a whole book on that. Yeah, you could. And I even wondered if I should put this in, this Deutsche piece, because it, a lot of people complain that that's the hardest chapter. Because a lot of uh, non- Non, non-finance types like us, a lot of them read and like this book, mm-hmm. but that chapter gives them the most trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but I decided to leave it in because I think it shows both the international connection of, the, of, of the, what was going on in Iceland and, and also 
how compl- how far they were willing to go to manipulate the perception that they were a, a good bank. No, I think that definitely needed to stay in there. Yeah, yeah. So, what what el- what else you got? <laughs> well, you said you had some new stuff. I want to hear the the new mm. bits. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was just putting this together for you guys last night because I've uh, I, I tweeted a little bit about this. I think this should be I think this should be in the FT. I've I've actually contacted the relevant reporter at the FT. Mm. Didn't hear back yet. This just all happened at the end of March and uh, it's happening now. So there's a big controversy today in Iceland exactly about one of these banks, exactly about their shares. So it's this is like happening today. Yeah. So let me try to break it down for you. So you remember the third bank uh, we call it in the book, the third thief is Glitner. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they were kind of always the, the redheaded stepchild of the, <laughs> they were their color, their logo was red of the, of the three. <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, the government of Iceland, still after two thousand eight, it it's, it owns stakes in these banks, hmm. and I believe this was the first like privatization effort since two thousand eight. It just happened on the twenty second of March. They sold off two twenty two and a half percent, so almost a quarter of what what was once Glitnert and is now rebranded as Eastlands Bunky, but it's mm-hmm. it's the same bank, same institution, not the same people even. Yeah, I mean, by now, I guess people have retired and stuff. But yeah, yeah, uh, the institution is the same. The institutional memory, it's it's the same place. Um, yeah. Although they would say it's not. I mean, they they got a new ID number, so they got a new corporate, like a new corporate number. So officially in the system of the country, it's a different company. But it's it's you know. oh, so they have no record then, <laughs> no <laughs> well, priors. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they Smart. were. Yeah, got a new birth certificate. Yeah, they were started clean. Yeah, and so they had a closed auction. Very secretive in on March twenty second, uh, where they sold because uh, some of these shares are already on the market. They sold off at a discount to market. I think the discount was around four percent, five percent, something like that. Mm-hmm. They sold these shares off at a discount, but then they did the offer, and then it was kind of like uh, people wanted to know. So who who bought them? And they were like, well, it was a uh, <laughs> professional bidders and you know professional investors, and they would they wouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> this was the finance min- finance ministry and something called Bankasisland, which is they created an agency just for privatizing of the of these banks. And 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 the, and the finance minister um, was kind of like, well, no, this is this is a bank bank secrecy. We can't tell you who bought who bought these shares. And there was a lot of pressure because people could see on the insider lists on the exchange, they could see that like new people had registered as insiders, and some of them were employees of the bank, I guess. So they're oh, like, like, wait a minute. I thought you said this was like professional investors buying this, but then here's an employee. Well, if it's the prop desk trader, he's definitely a professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's 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 get to that. So, oh, no. so finally, like on March 30th, the finance minister relents and says, "Okay, we'll tell you who the names are." And people went ballistic uh, when they found out who the names were. Um, because they said it was, like I said, uh, professional investors. You know, I think they have this in the US too, like this des- designation of professional investor. You have to have, in Iceland, you have to have two of three things. You have to have done enough trades in the last year, or you have to have a, a, a net worth over a certain amount, or you have to have a demonstrated expertise. Um, and so if you have any two of those, you can get a designation as a professional. Yeah, we have something similar. I think it's the accredited investor. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, that has to do with net worth only here, really. But it turned out so many of these new people were just like individuals connected to the <laughs> to the government who had just invested like not not very much. Mm-hmm. 
And then the, the first the first big headline that I saw was that Bjartney Benediktsson, we call him Bjartney Ben, he's the finance minister. He's he's just he's a, a career politician and he's the, the leader of his party, which is probably the most powerful of Iceland's political parties. So he's the ultimate guy ultimately responsible for this privatization. He's the finance minister. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that his own father <laughs> was one of the buyers. Oh, oh wow. wow. And then, <laughs> And then he, then he, he was asked about it. He's like, "Oh yeah, but I, I don't know. That was done uh, secretly. I don't know. I didn't know he was in it." <laughs> so, so then, uh, so they got this list, and the list was like full of just names of individuals in Iceland or their companies. And meanwhile, uh, there was foreign and domestic investment funds and individuals in the country who had written to this this uh, this privatization agency and asked to be participate, and they were just like they never answered their emails. Wow. Then there was a, another story came out. So, someone got a call like close to midnight the night before the offer from a brokerage firm. And he was the and the guy on the phone was like, Hey, you want to make 10 million, 10 million ISK while you sleep? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and, and they basically got him into the offer. They call him the night trader. <laughs> he, <laughs> he got in at night. He, he woke up the next morning. He was indeed almost exactly because they had this guaranteed profit in there this guaranteed percentage bump on it. And so he flipped his shares the next morning and cashed out 10 million ISK and, and you know, <laughs> walked away. Good for him, I guess. <laughs> How do I get those phone calls? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then even the broker, one of the brokerage firms, at least the government, the government used several firms to, to do the offer, but at least one of them, the owners and the employees of the firm had put themselves <laughs> into the, into the auction and got themselves discounted shares. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> The, the names on the list are like a lot of the same people from the 2008 collapse. So investment companies and like what we call, we now call the Icelandic oligarchs, like these wealthy guys, the ones who controlled and ran the banks into the ground the first time, they're now in this offer again. Mm-hmm. Even like one of the buyers plus the father of another were sentenced to prison time for their role in 2008. And now they're back <laughs> in this Wow. And then uh, so from some other, other analysis shows that like out of the 207 buying parties, 132 of them have, have already flipped some or all of their shares uh, as of the 12th of April. Do we know who's who bought them? Yeah, that's that's the question for you guys. <laughs> I mean, I or f- for us, I mean, nobody seems to have asked that question yet. And, and right. given the history of this bank, yes, <laughs> it's like, I bet I know who, I mean, I would have a guess who's buying it. You know, I would want to see that. Yes. <laughs> Um, and oh, and also, of course, like we mentioned, the employees of the bank also loaded their pockets. And this is the bank. Do you remember? Uh, this is the same bank that lent its employees money to buy its shares in 2008. Did you remember that from the book? Yes, I did. Yeah, they they created like for the I think this top 30 employees, they created 30 shell companies, one for each of the top employees, and they just put loans and they dumped the shares in there to get get them off their books. So this is kind of your biggest fear then coming. I mean, like the whole thing that you were worried about was a repeat of this if we didn't actually get to the root cause. And- yeah, I kind of knew it would happen. I mean, I don't, oh, well. I'm glad the book came out before this, yes. this fiasco. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> and then and then we because we before, before we were talking about the central bank, there's another piece that I I never knew this, but the central bank ended up with a bunch of assets after 2008. Like it ended up with I guess hundreds of real estate, hundreds of properties somehow, huh. and as well as securities. And I don't know what properties or what securities. And I I don't think anybody does. And so the the central bank created a a couple of like companies and stuffed the assets in there to wind them down sell them off. And they call this um, in Icelandic, they, 
the translation is like the t- the trash can of the central bank. <laughs> These companies. So they wound this whole thing down in, in 2017. So five years ago, they have those companies. I think were just they closed them because they sold everything out of them and they closed it. And they said it's great. And then then they um, they were supposed to make a report in 2018 about like. What were those assets? Who bought them? <laughs> what price? Um, and they still haven't made the report. It's four years later. Wow. I wonder who bought them. Yeah, I do too. Uh, last Tuesday, their spokesman got asked like, you know, like a week ago, hey, what, what, what happened? Why didn't you do this report? And he's like, well, we have a lot of work on other projects. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really um, kind of the whole thing starting again i f- i fear although there's one there's one i want to give a shout out to one icelandic news outlet that's my primary source on a lot of these things it's independent journalists and it's called kjartnen which is the core and they're pushing really hard on these stories can you spell the name of that so we can uh, link them it's k-j-a-r-n-i-n-n we can uh, i can send it to you yeah okay i mean it's in icelandic but you can translate if you, if you want a crazy reading you can just <laughs> Google Translate them. Google and, Translate's so fun. <laughs> yeah, the, the, our old prime minister came out on the weekend and she said the corruption could hardly get worse than this. Like, And it's funny because, like I say in the book, people don't usually say corruption about their own country. Yeah. Or in the West, we don't. But she actually said the word spitling. In Icelandic, it's it's like uh, spilling. Like when you spill a little extra of your drink, it's, it's corruption. Yeah. You spill it into somebody else's cup. Yeah, yeah. She said, she said uh, she used the word. She said corruption could hardly get worse than this. So maybe it'll be different this time. Can we rename the uh, your book tour? I think it should be the I Told You So tour. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to take that stance. You know, it's, I know, you know, right? I, I, I was hoping people would read this and they'd be like, oh, wow, we didn't realize and we're going to fix everything. But, you know, <laughs> I, don't think that, I don't think that. Yeah. I don't suppose your phone is ringing off the hook to to go come help them. Well, I actually put that on Twitter. I was like, put me in coach, you know? Yeah. 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 The parliament was talking about and may still do a, a, an investigation commission on this, uh, on this privatization. People are, people are spitting mad and it was just looks like, it looks like the finance minister and his cronies once again, you know, took state assets and, and profited from them. I mean, that's how it looks. And, uh, you know, in his, like his insiders, the power, the power elites of the country. And so people are really upset about this. So, so but there may be an investigation. If there is, I would love to be part of it. I think that would be awesome. Have you seen anything similar to this? Uh, you're living in Switzerland now, right? Yes. Have you seen anything similar to this in Switzerland since you've been there? I don't have enough details on it. There was a big conviction last week of the head of Raffaizen, I think, uh, and he got sentenced to, f- I think, four years in prison for a, for a scandal here. That's that's big news here. Hmm. And so, hey, maybe things are getting better. You know, maybe things are turning a corner. I just don't see how things can get any better until the, I think w- w- what uh, you left us with was uh, incentivizing the regulators. Yeah. Until you have something that, that incentivizes you to be good <laughs> more so than to be bad. Because you know, you get a go- you get a call that says, "Hey, you want to make ten million overnight while you sleep?" Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's worth the risk of three months in a country club. <laughs> of course, I do. That's why you called me. Well, that, yeah, incentives are all on that side, and there's just nothing on the other side. Um, like, where's the incentive for you? Like, what did you get out of it? Out of being the one to take them down? Well, nothing. I, oh, well, I got paid. I get I got a salary. You got, you got a kick in the butt. <laughs> I and got booted out of the. Yeah, well, he got an Axiom Award. Yeah, yeah, that's not the normal. That's not the normal career arc. <laughs> no, that's true. I lost. I ended up. I mean, I left. It was my decision to leave the regulator, but that was because they had basically 
started to dismantle my team as we were working. It, you know, it's right. incredible. The day after they promised you something completely different too. Yes, that's right. Like, yeah, you had to leave. My, I would have left too. <laughs> yeah, they set it up in a way that I was kind of like, yeah, okay, I'm leaving. Yeah, no, that's right. There's no, um, and, and, and there's another thing nobody ever talks about. Like, what if, what if a regulator commits a crime in the market? Right. There's no, there's no, there's no, um, at least the places I've worked, there's no internal affairs. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and uh, I heard, and this is really just hearsay, really hearsay, but you know, the wire card scandal in Germany? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you know about this one? I don't know anything about it. I think I've heard it, but if you want to... It's a... Okay, this is a great story. They, they started out as a processing payments for like online gambling, I think, and definitely pornography online. You could... Um, their payment processor. That's big money. It, it, it was. And they grew to be like a national champion of Germany and they grew to be a payment middleman. But they had, I think, a 2 billion euro hole on their balance sheet. They had 2 billion that they said was in these accounts in the Philippines, never audited. <laughs> What? So, the, what? so it was a big it was a big scam for many many years uh, in in Germany. It, it finally came. There's a new book coming out about it. Uh, I think next month. Hmm. Uh, there was some FT reporters really chasing it uh, for years, and there was some American hedge funds trying to short this company. The company was one of the biggest German companies in the end. It was in the DAX, so it was one of the thirty biggest. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, so, but there's some people that, that caught on, you know, there was a lot of flags in there in, in their financials that something was up. And so they actually sent thugs against the FT reporters. Um, it was, it was a really like, it reads like a mafia operation. And they, uh, I, I really can't, can't wait for the book. But, but, but what's crazy to me is that the Bafin, which is like the German SEC, German version, they announced that this one stock, this one German stock would no longer be able to be shorted. What? So they put a short selling ban on just Wirecard. Really? Yeah. How do you get away with that? I, well, you're the regulator. See, like nobody, who's policing that? <laughs> yeah. And then what I heard, and this is the hearsay part, but that employees of the regulator in Germany were trading around those decisions in Wirecard. Of course. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to turn off the short side. It's going to be less sellers. Let's go long. <laughs> Even uh, that was if that, that the turning off the short was several years before because people really wanted to short them. And for good reason. I mean, this was like a basically sounds like a criminal enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> it was years later that they actually collapsed. And then there was a lot of regulatory decisions around their collapse. And what I heard was that they were trading around that. And so, yeah, I don't really know. I don't, I don't know the solution anymore. I used to just think it was incentivize the regulator. I, I think that's, that's only a part, it's got to be only a part of it. Yeah. But we really need to, we really need to think about these things better uh, because what we have, the system we have now, it just is not working. Do you want to talk about another current event? Sure. Dan, I think you were struggling to understand why this was a big deal. Uh, Elon Musk making his uh, Twitter purchases. We kind of referenced that earlier. Yep. Uh, not disclosing when that went above 5% right. and then continuing to accumulate. Yes. Why is that such a big deal? Uh, because actually, do you guys read The Money Guy, Matt Levine? You would love uh, this No, guy. I don't think so. It's uh, He's a Bloomberg, ex-Bloomberg guy. He's a fantastic writer. He writes a newsletter. It's free every day. It comes out four days a week. And he talks about all these things. And I, I, I become glued to it. I read it every day. Hmm. And so he explained it. And, and that made sense to me. His explanation was like, the reason that the 5% flag is once the market knows that someone is accumulating, mm-hmm. They know that someone's going to maybe make an offer and then the price goes up. Right. But if he never flags, if he never announces it, he can accumulate at the at the pre-announcement price when nobody knows what's going on. So Yeah, it saved him millions. I, I think 140 million was what I read. 
I, I, don't quote me on that, but it saved, he saved himself quite a bit by not. And there, and there's, and it's pretty clear that he broke the law, but it, it's pretty clear that it's not going to really be prosecuted either for that for that piece. So he just gets away with that. Um, if it's just a fine, it's only a law for four people. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, you know what you know what they do in Switzerland for some fines is they're connected to your salary. Yeah, that's how they get a speeding ticket that's cost them $67,000. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so that's a pretty cool system, I think. And in general, the speeding tickets here are crazy. Like you don't want to get one. I, I'll i be going, I get one once a year. I'll. They have these, everything's automated here. There's no, there's no, there's just like, but if the speed limit says 50 kilometers, you know, like when you're entering a, a town, it says 50. Yeah. If you're, if you're not going 50, 49 by the time you hit that sign you you could be dead there could be a little camera right on the other side and if you get let's say going uh 55 and a 50 so in miles an hour this is like 37 and a 35 or something i mean the fine could be like 100 francs just for that just for that tiny Jesus. and then if you're going like if you're going 10 percent over forget it i mean it might be two or three hundred so it's it's pretty people drive pretty much <laughs> like like whatever the limit is that that's what people do and, and I always use this analogy here in Switzerland because this is the system it, it's actually quite nice you know because you always know exactly what speed you have to drive there's no guessing it's like you got to just do drive to the law because you're going to get screwed but we don't have a similar system in Switzerland for market uh, market abuse right there's no uh, <laughs> there's, there's no nice sign with a camera. <laughs> <laughs> Do people drive with ski masks on? Do they have to get your picture in there like they do in America? Or? No, 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 no. It just goes to the owner of the car. Doesn't even matter if you're driving or not. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's just, yeah. Oh. I, think, I think it just goes to the owner. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I accidentally uh, was in the wrong lane for a, a bridge in San Francisco. And okay. they took they took a picture and tracked me down in Arizona. Like, I got that ticket. Okay. It did arrive. Right, right. <laughs> I got a ticket uh, for a car plate that I used to have when I lived in New York. I lived there for six months. Okay. Uh, back in 2003 or 2002. And this is like 2012 or 2015, I got a ticket for that car or that license plate. Good God. I hadn't lived there wow. for over a decade. <laughs> wow. How does that work? <laughs> I don't know. Is that somebody so never updated the license plate? It's like I still have it hanging on my wall somewhere. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> a game room. You, you can send them a picture of your game room and say that wasn't me. I know, right? Yeah, like, that, that wasn't me. <laughs> they ended up wiping it, but okay, it's still kind of annoying. <laughs> ah, is anything else going on with the book? Anything else you can tell us? I, I, I know I've got hopes that this is going to be a documentary on Netflix, and so I'm. Ta- I have some interest from a documentary filmmaker, but that seems to have dried up a little bit. Um, but then I, I have two, I'm talking to um, two different production companies about actually a dramatization, like a, like a 10 part, one of them wants to do a, an eight or 10 part, like a series. Uh, oh, that, Netflix awesome. or, I mean, they, you know, it's like, they try to pitch it to then they, they, they would buy the rights for me and then they would pitch it to Netflix and try to get some. Right. On that side. Um, yeah. So they're really excited. They are really excited because the book that you read is about I, I would guess like 30% shorter than what I wrote. Oh, okay. The publisher was kind of like, yeah, first time authors don't get more than 300 pages, Jared. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and so there was a lot of good, <laughs> there was a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, and that, and that they were, would really like to recycle into, you know, into, they were like, Oh, we need, we need material for episodes. So that, so that's kind of exciting. Uh, how yeah. that goes. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be like the director's cut. Yes. And I would then maybe do a director's cut version of the book to go with it because that would be really cool. 
I would uh, like to see that. Yeah, Expanded I, I, edition. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the stories they didn't want you to see. <laughs> right. or well, then you can yeah. add some of the follow-up stuff too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like this thing that I just told you is 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 kind of uh, – and I, I'm sure there will be, will be more to this. Um, Actually, you should be really happy that you don't have an index because if you do come out and do an updated edition where you add stuff, you don't have to worry about changing the page numbers. <laughs> We talked to Ian Frazier when he did his update. Oh, really? He had to cut exactly the same amount that he put in there because the publisher wouldn't pay for new index. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I don't have an index because uh, that w- there was like w- when you're publishing a book and they give you like a date, um, uh, you know, you. you there's a lot of date. There's a lot of deadlines, basically, as the book is getting ready to come out. Mm-hmm. And if you miss one, it it kind of it kind of pushes you a month on the back end. Like every the publisher, it's not just your book that they're doing. They're doing like I, my publisher probably does t- at least twelve a year, I guess. Um, and that's a small publisher. So so mm-hmm. some other book will gladly take your release date if you don't have your if you don't have oh, your oh right okay. So at one point they were like Jared, if you want to keep the at that point, I think it was the March or the June. I mean, it came out in October in the end, but they were like, if you want to keep the June release date, we're going to have to cut the index. And I was like, uh, okay. It's like, the, the index will take another week and we just don't have a week. And I was like, oh. Uh, nobody reads the index. I like, I like <laughs> indexes, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when Ian Fraser wrote the review for Financial Times, he was like, well, other than not having an index, it's a pretty good book. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but... I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. Right. Yeah, but. Uh, it sounds like something authors like to see. <laughs> right. Other authors, yes, yeah. He <laughs> said the average. He wanted he well he wanted the things that his book has, which is photos and an index. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> the same things that hurt him when he tried to redo it. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you can't skip this pain. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, should we uh, should we wrap this up with a, a terrible take? terrible take yeah i'm looking through the reviews on amazon for your book and i think there's like one there's one two star there's, yeah read read that one that one trashed it read that one. Oh, there's so <laughs> it's so stupid this person i want to <laughs> the financial crisis in iceland is monumental but perhaps because it's a low population country has not received the broad attention given to the crises of other countries i had high hopes for this book and i persevered right. to the 25 percent point becoming more disappointed the further i read Wow. The author seems to have tried emulating Liar's Poker. Like that, mm. this book contains a great deal of the author's personal history, but unlike the earlier book, there's very little context given. Couldn't mm. help thinking of a passenger surviving a train wreck. Passenger's <laughs> able to give a detailed account of what she underwent, but are missing the big picture. Well, if you made it past the 25% point right. where he's giving you background information, you might have yeah. learned the big picture. <laughs> I didn't have context for the context he gave me. <laughs> Such a bad take. Well, <laughs> and he's one of, I think he's one of 62. Majority of them are five star and four star. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Good. But I want to give you a chance to, to I, respond this, to that. I, I think that I'm, I was happy. Like at first I was like, oh, come on. You, you're giving a review after 25%. But I was like, this kind of legitimizes the book because, you know, you need, you need some of these haters out there, right? Like if you don't. Right. <laughs> 
if you don't <laughs> yeah. if you don't have those those like trolls then you kind of didn't do a good thing i think so i was kind of like in the end i'm happy i want some more one stars you guys want to drop some ones in there for me and really trash it no i that would be never. awesome <laughs> i couldn't give you a one star <laughs> i know when i'm looking at stuff online and it's only good reviews i yes. think that they juiced it i i, I get suspicious yes yes Yes. So you're yeah. saying we should put a one star in there, but put all the glowing praise. <laughs> right. One star because it wasn't long enough. And no index. Yeah, with no index. <laughs> Needs pictures. Needs more pictures. <laughs> Read this to my five-year-old. He didn't understand. Yeah. <laughs> My niece, who's nine, was like, she's she's like, I'm reading Iceland Secret. And she, <laughs> she's a picture. <laughs> Send me a picture of her reading it on the couch. It was really cool. Oh, really cute. Yeah. It's one of the few books that I've read that's got a lot of like, technical stuff in it. But not really like a whole lot, but it didn't put me to sleep either. Like it was right. It was like we were along with you putting together the pieces. Like I, I thought it was very well done. Thank you. Yeah. I tried to make it. I tried to make it so it's a bit of a screenplay too, for obvious reasons. So oh, yeah. just so you <laughs> save that work later. That's smart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks a lot, guys. It's been really great to be here. Well, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, is there anything else uh, you want to leave the audience with before we uh, before we call it a day? Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere you're going to be? You doing any book tours, book signings? <laughs> Uh, my, I just asked about doing some in the UK, and the publisher was like, "Ah, we don't really do that anymore, unless you're, unless you're a celebrity." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, <laughs> unless you're J.K. Rowling." Yeah. <laughs> well, she's not getting them either. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, no, I, I would love to do. A, I'd love to do a tour. Maybe that'll be later this year or something. I'll, I'll come. Maybe I'll do it like a if US. If you ever come to the states, in. let us know. Yeah. All right. You guys can set something to go to Ireland. If you happen to go to Ireland at the end of the month, I think Dan might see you there. Oh. Yes. Yes. I'm going to Ireland on the 29th. Okay. Cool. Cool. I land on the 30th. All right. Yeah. That's awesome. You have family there? No. Just uh, always wanted to go. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. You'll love it. I loved it. Everyone in America is 5% Irish. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Except me. (laughs) Well, what's funny is I did a DNA test and and it did come back. Uh, as being like I'm 15% Irish. But since I bought those tickets, they came on, they updated it, and they sent me an email and said, oh, no, no, we updated things, and now it turned yeah. to Scottish. So <laughs> <laughs> I used to be 1% Jewish on the on the DNA thing, and that's gone away. You so I guess 1% Jewish. <laughs> I guess, I'm, I, guess I, I no longer am. <laughs> yeah. There's no half in. It was like 1% Jewish. Ashkenazi. <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny. Every time I check, it's a little bit different. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's weird, huh? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I'd love to go. I'd love to come to, over there and do something. Maybe I should just make it happen. Let's do it and let us know. Absolutely. I'm in Chicago. Dan's in Tucson, but we'll figure you, something out. Oh, you're in Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I mean, three hours from Chicago, I can be in Chicago. Okay. My dad's from Chicago, so I've been there. I used to go there every summer to see my grandparents. Oh, okay. When I was a kid, I figured yeah. you didn't want to come to Peoria. Yeah. <laughs> are you? <laughs> Are you in? Are you actually in Peoria? Yeah, yeah. So, how does it play in Peoria? Ho, ho, ho. So, sorry about. Oh. <laughs> how does How does my book play in Peoria? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't go out much. Yeah. <laughs> We're finally getting through winter. Oh, really? Ask me in the summer when I actually go outside. Well, wait. Isn't it here? Here, it's really nice. We got like it's here. It's beautiful. Beautiful weather. 
It was 20 degrees last night. It's 20 degrees here, but Celsius. So that's a different, that's a different it's, kettle, yeah, mine is, kettle uh, of fish. Seven here. <laughs> okay. I think wow. it's warmed up since. Wow. This has been fantastic. Thanks for coming back, Jared. You know, we're going to get you back on again. It's inevitable. Oh, that'd be awesome. Looking forward to your next book. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thanks so much for having me. Oh, yeah. Our pleasure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Any any parting words of wisdom, Kyle? Can you top uh, it? Top can, I top, can I top a, a best-selling author, yeah. award-winning author? No. Yeah. No, I can't. <laughs> no. All right. Well, folks, thanks for sticking around to the end. Uh, this has been fantastic. I'm really, really, really happy here in, you know, that at the beginning, you know, we kind of got the sandwich. Really happy here in the, there's some positive in the world, even though the shenanigans continue. Yeah. Uh, crime pays. Crime pays. <laughs> 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 Until next time. Happy trades. Bye. Bye-bye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.